I do love uh, the passage out of 2 Timothy where Paul is writing to Timothy and he speaks about how he saw the faith of his grandmother and his mother in Timothy. And so it is just that special, unique role uh, that mothers play in instilling faith in us young'uns, if you know what I mean. So, thank you very much. Uh, if only all the dads and children, their attitude and their cooperation would match the beauty of this day. Wouldn't it be perfect today? Okay. All right. The beauty, the weather would be nice anyway. All right. All right. Today, we have a new feature in our Sunday morning service. Talk to me. It's up. Uh-oh. It is called Name That Psalm. You ready for this? You ready for this? Aren't, aren't you glad you're back from college? You don't get this at college, do you? No way. No. You don't get this at college. No, sir. And this was free. Mom and Daddy didn't go into debt for this. This is... One introductory comment about this particular psalm, all right? If you think you know it, raise your hand. Please cooperate and raise your hands. We don't want it. You don't know it yet, Gary. <clears throat> no other psalm has such a central place in the hearts of people of sure and uncertain faith as those who seldom darken the door of church or synagogue have found in this psalm speaking to them. It, it appeals both in simplicity and profundity. I see hands. I see hands. This hand went up first. Karen? 23rd Psalm. Ding, 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 ding. That's right. You're our grand prize winner today. Come on down. Well, we, never mind. Just leave it there. Yeah. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Charles Spurgeon said about Psalm 23, he said, it has been said that the nightingale is, it has been said what the nightingale is among birds, that this divine ode is among the Psalms, for it has sung sweetly in the ear of many a mourner in its night of weeping and has bidden him hope in the morning of joy. Well said, huh? And, and this particular uh, comment I really loved as well. Depth and strength underline the simplicity of this psalm. Its peace is not escape. Its contentment is not complacency. There is readiness to face deep darkness and imminent attack. And the climax reveals a love which homes towards no material goal, but to the Lord himself. Well said, huh? Yeah, well said. So Psalm 23, you know, I probably have told you that Psalm 119 is my favorite psalm. Today it's Psalm 23, all right? And I especially love um, Philip Keller's book, you know, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It is just so insightful and so devotional in its tone and its application, and, and it's just beautiful. Um, if you're not familiar with Psalm 23, begin to find it in your Bible <clears throat> um, in the middle of the book there, and then finding Psalm 23 there. And um, the author, as you probably know, is David. And um, he draws on the days before Saul. He draws on the time before he was a king. He draws on days before we really knew a lot about him. And he reaches back into his youth for the imagery and for the experiences that he writes about in this particular psalm. Um, And I'm going to read it today. I told you I've been reading the Psalms from different versions to keep it alive and fresh because so many of these are are, are familiar to us. 
But I'm going to, so I'm going to read it today from the New English translation. Put it, it's, you find it on Bible.org. Uh, the NET is what you might see it as in your, when it's referenced. And um, let's, I'm going to read it for you from here. You can follow along in yours or read up here. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. Father, this morning we come and we just thank you for, um, as they have said, the simplicity and yet the profound, deep nature of this psalm. Um, just for the tenderness of the words, for the great compassion and for the great certainty they give us. This morning, Father, may they be ours as we listen to your still small voice in our hearts, as we listen to what you would have to say to us through your Holy Spirit, not through me and not through my words, but to what your Holy Spirit says to us as we listen to you as you speak to us this morning. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in thy law. In your name we pray, amen. Well, it is, it is a great, great psalm. I love it. Um, and, and doesn't it speak? I mean, it, there is just something about it that is calming, that is reassuring, just as its face value, without really thinking about it, without really studying it. You know, uh, it, it just is, it's beautiful in that way. This morning for our, um, for our outline for it, I'm taking it from uh, the Joshua Code, a book by um, O.S. Uh, um, Hawkins. Um, and, he, and he points out a couple of things that we're just going to use that as our outline and so the number one, he has four points we're going to go from today. Number one, he is preeminent. He is present. He is personal. And he is protective. We're going to be going through those, so if you're jotting them down really fast, you'll see them again. All right? He's preeminent. He surpasses all others. There are none others like him at all. And really, they go on to, you know, we're going to focus really on the very first five words. Many, uh, a commentator, an author, Hawkins, uh, um, Keller, um, Charles Spurgeon, so many of these emphasize the importance of just the first five words. Just the first five words. And so when you look at those, it just says, the Lord is my shepherd. So when we talk about he is above all others, that he surpasses all others, the first two, just the Lord that he, it's talking about he, he is our shepherd. There's none other like him. There's no one else who even begins to compare to him. One commentator I read said, said you know, like, you can have debates about uh, Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron or Mozart or Bach. You can have debates about, you know, all these kind of things. You know, you can listen to ESPN radio in the mornings and they debate about who's the best quarterback of all time. And there's all these other names. But you cannot debate about the greatest God. Because he stands above all others. None compare. None can even step into the category. All the others have little G's. He's got a big G. 
There is none other like him. He is preeminent. He is above all others. None of them compare to him. None of them. And it is he who is our shepherd. Now, you know, this, this, this five words, this even this point, you know, it is the hub that all the other concepts, all the other statements of this psalm flow out of. This is the hinge that everything is, is connected to. And if your concept of him is not preeminent, then the rest of the psalm is kind of gray matter. It just kind of washes away. It's dirty water, and you're going to throw it out. It has no, no purpose for you. It has nothing that you can hold on to. If your view of the Lord is too small, or if it's too confined, or if it's underdeveloped, then these words are not comforting to you. It's just nice poetry, and there's a lot of that out there. They don't give you much to write home about. You can't get excited about it. Christians who are still unsure of their shepherd will seek things that they think they need from other people, places, and, and, and things. And so they weaken the testimony of Christ. They rob themselves of the richness of knowing him. They rob themselves of the stories of his provision and care. They miss out on the love and the compassion he has to share because they seek what God promises from other places. If the Lord is not the place you go to, then you go to other places. And that is who we are as people. It is knit into us, prone to wonder. Amen, brothers and sisters, right here. I'll stand before you, and I'll lead you in the way of proning to wander. Yeah. It's what is in our hearts. And it's in the context of, of knowing him that he is drawing that out and drawing us to him so we do not wander as much, so that we as sheep do not wander off. So we as sheep do not find ourselves straying into other pastures among other things that would take us away. And you know, the, the Bible calls it idolatry. The Bible says that when we seek what we should get from him and other places, whatever that is, becomes an idol. And so the fact of the matter is this, is this. Stand up, my son. You know, these can become idols. Our children, you know, that's, that's true. Stand up, Betty Jo. Yeah, you. The wife can become the idol. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You can sit down now, honey. Yeah, thank you. I thought she was going to stay up the whole time. No. Um, this can become an idol. This church can become an idol. What you drove in here this morning can become an idol. What you have for breakfast, lunch, afternoon snack, dinner, midnight snack, that becomes an idol. The job that you work at becomes an idol. All those things are things we go to for stuff that we should get from him. And when we go to them instead of him, those become idols. Those get in the way of him. And all of a sudden, it's like, my job is my shepherd. My boss is my shepherd. My mama is my shepherd. Whatever it is that we go to, that stuff gets in the way. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves. We make them bad as we put them in places they don't belong. As we go there for stuff that they don't have to give us. As we look for them to fill places that only Christ should fill us. As 
when I, when I talk to the young couples who are talking, you know, working on getting married, you know, it's always this, this discussion that says that if you're getting married so that he can give you something that mama and daddy didn't give you, he's going to disappoint you and you're going to think that marriage doesn't work. Check your expectations now. Because I guarantee if he or she hasn't disappointed you yet, they will. Jeez, there was no amens about that. You can tell it's Mother's Day. <laughs> they will. And that is just the nature of it. All that stuff that we go to for, for, to fill the space that God is rightly intended to fill, they will disappoint. They will disappoint. We see that in the Old Testament. God's people run into other nations for protection. They run to other gods, to mediums, to fortune tellers, all kinds of things. And, 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 and in each and every place, they run to get the things that this psalm talks about that God gives us, that he gives us direction, that he gives us just all that we need, green pastures, food, water, that he refreshes our souls, that he, he takes away the fear out of dangerous places. All of that stuff that this psalm says the shepherd gives us is what we run to from, it's what we run to instead of God. And in every case, all those things, they're weak, they fail, they don't work, they disappoint, and we find the next thing. We find the next thing. But if you've ever experienced him personally, if you've ever trusted him deeply, and if you've ever sought him earnestly, has he not found, have you not found him to be true? There is a a psalm, another psalm, there's so many of them, there's this song here that I just love, and I just think over, and I've used it many times, and it just says, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man that makes, takes refuge in him. You know? you know, this is not like broccoli, where you taste it and you like go, I didn't like that at all. This is like that if you taste him, if you try him, if you take a bite, if you just take a nibble, he will satisfy. But you know what? He's like vegetables with our kids. And you look at that, and Owen says, don't like. He's never tried it, but Owen would tell you, don't like. I don't like that. But he's never tried it. But the thing is about us, as we sit in these chairs here, we say we love it. We say, I love him. He's my everything. But we've never really trusted him with anything. And there is that hole that is in us so often. There is that doubt. There is that, that uncertainty that lies inside of us. As we come here week after week, as we so often serve so much, as we so often give so much, and yet the fact of the matter is, too often we've not trusted him with enough to find him to be everything he says he is, to find him to be true to his word, to his character, to who he says he is. The next one is that he is present. The Lord is now present here in my life, in this moment. That's where he's at. 
This is not a promise for what's going to happen. You know, that's, whenever I talk, that's heaven, right? That's heaven. This is not a promise that's happening out there in the, in the future. This is not a promise that's going to happen if I attend church enough. This is not a promise that's going to happen if I give enough. This is not a promise that's going to happen if I serve enough, or if I know my Bible enough, or if I've gone to seminary, or if I come to church all the time, if I'm a preacher. This is not a promise for any of that. This is a promise for anyone who believes it. And so you can be a teeny tiny baby Christian. Uncertain about where even Psalm 23 is in your Bible, but he is present then and there if you believe it and you take him to be so. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help. He is our refuge and our strength. He is ever-present, ever-present That's just an old Bible way of saying, he's there, folks. He's in the moment, always, all the time. He's there. And and, and I know that each and every single one of us, we have these circumstances, we have these life situations that we need to know he's in the middle of, that he's there, that he's a part of. He's always there. The next one, you know, talk about he is personal. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, recently we looked um, at Psalm 139, and we saw in Psalm 139 where God speaks about that, um, that, that he knit us and he formed us in our mother's womb. That he has this, this intense, dedicated, focused desire for us So much so that before we were ever created, he put thought and purpose in who we were going to be. And then when we were conceived in our mother's womb, he began to knit us together and to make us who we are, what we are, what we look like, to form our personalities. And so when he, we, so there's this, this sense of ownership, there's a sense of great dedication that he is our shepherd. He is my shepherd. He is Dave's shepherd. That he is so personal. And it is just so much true. To, I mean, don't you hate it when like the old cliches really kind of work? And so let's just pick one up and use it right now and just say, if the fact of the matter is, is that if you were the only, he would still be your shepherd. He would still have come and died for you to bring you into his fold. If you were the only, he would do that for you. That's how personal he is. That's how much he has dedicated and given to us. Charles Spurgeon said this about this part of the passage. He said, the sweetest word of the whole is that, and he's speaking of this, of this uh, the Lord is my shepherd. He said, the sweetest word of the whole is that monosyllable my. He does not say the Lord is a shepherd of the world at large and leadeth forth the multitude as his flock, but the Lord is my shepherd. And if he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me, watches over me, preserves me. The words are in the present tense. Whatever be the believer's position, he is now under the pastoral care of Jehovah. John 10 verse 11 says this, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd 
lays down his life for the sheep. And that nature of being the good shepherd, speaking about the good shepherd that if anything were to threaten them, he would lay down his life for them. That anything they need, he goes to the effort, effort, extra effort to provide it. Whatever it is, this shepherd is one who will care for all your needs in every circumstance and will not leave you to wander, will not leave you to fend for yourself. You know, the fact of the matter is, folks, and you know it as well as I do, is that you watch some families and you think, exactly what did they do to deserve children? Because that's a situation that's a catastrophe. There's no shepherd for those children. Well, that's not this case. There is a shepherd who's longing to love and to care for any, any lamb who will place themselves under his care. And he did that. He he, he means that in such a way that he made that provision for sin. He made that provision for sin that said that I know my sheep have a problem and they need a fix for it. I know my sheep have a problem that they can't fix for themselves. I know that my sheep need something more than they can do. And he provided that in Christ. And that sin problem that we have, that sin, that guilt, that shame that dogs us, that sin that is going to hold us back, he, he provided the fix for that. He provided Christ to pay the penalty for each and every person who owes that penalty. Everyone does. And he says, I care for those sheep so much that I'll pay the price for them in my son Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for sin for each and every person, and who by faith and faith alone, they come into a saving relationship with him and have that sin problem wiped out, have that sin problem blotted over, covered over like we talked about last Sunday have that sin problem covered over so they can enter into a personal relationship with him and find those lives beginning to change over the course of time. Now then, I, 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 I just want to say this because I think we cannot say it enough. You heard me say it, and that's that they enter into a personal relationship with him through faith alone. If you've been around here, you know what this line is. This line right here is is believing in Christ. On this side of the line, you're dead in your sins. You have no relationship with God. You might think you do. You might say you love him. You might say that you go to church all the time and stuff. But over here, you don't have a relationship with him because you never placed your faith in him. You never believed him as paying the penalty for you, that his penalty was your penalty. And stepping over this line, believing that, you say, I believe that he died for me so that I don't have to pay that penalty myself. And believing that, you step over this line into new life. You step over this line because on this side of the line, all of a sudden, all those sins are paid for. They're covered over. Psalm 32. They're covered over on this side. And you didn't pay anything. You didn't have to do anything to step across the line. You believed what he said was true. You acknowledged it through your faith. And there are many who are going to teach you and say, no, 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 you have to change to step over that line. They say you have to repent to step over that line. Repent simply means to change your mind about what you believe. 
And when you're stepping on this line, the way we're talking about this today, you repented of believing that you could fix your sin problem yourself. You changed your mind that you could go to church enough, be good enough, do any of that other stuff enough. You changed your mind about it and says, I can't do it. He can. I'm changing my mind. I'm repenting of all what I used to think. And now I step over into newness of life. And if anyone tells you, if anyone tells you, if anyone tells you that you have to change your behavior to get to this side of the line, you're sunk because you can't change enough to get over here. You can't change enough to get to this side of the line. But when you get to this side of the line, he expects you to change. On this side of the line, he expects you to serve, but not to get over the line. Not to get over the line. He's personal. He lays down his life so that we don't have to lay down our life. He's personal. He laid down his life and he made it free for us so we can step over into newness of life so we can be a part of his fold. And he's protective. He is the shepherd. He's the one who's doing it. And this passage just begins to unpack it time and time again. This this passage just talks about it. That's what it's saying. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. He takes care of me. There's nothing I need. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to fresh water. He restores my strength. All that stuff that we say that we absolutely have to have, those are the few things we only have to have. If you're going to the, uh, to the uh, uh, Dave Ramsey class, he just says, all you need is food, shelter, transportation, and there's one more thing. I don't, I got, but I think I have it. Anyway, he, you know, he just says there's just, th- just these things we need, just a few things we need. And all the rest of it is wants that we apply. And, and, and what he's saying here is, is, I'll take care of you. I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you the pastures where you get your sustenance. I'll lead you to refreshing water. I'll restore your strength because you're going to be worn out. This life is going to tax you. And if you're not here and taxed, then I want to talk to you because this life will tax you. It will wear you down. And he says, he'll refresh you. He makes me, he leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. You know, it seems like there's just this running conversation in Christian circles and small groups and Bible studies says, I just want to do the right thing. And he goes, I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll lead you to that right thing. Let's talk about it. Come to me. He says that when I walk and I go through the darkest of valley. I fear no danger. You know, it's interesting that he says that I'll lead you down the right path. The very next thing says there'll be dark valleys when I lead you there. Isn't that interesting? Because, see, we think that when he's leading us there, there are no dark valleys. There are no uphill climbs. There are no steep hills. It's just like flat as this floor. We think that that's what he promised us. And he says, no, I don't promise you that. I promise to lead you. I promise to take care of you in those dark times. Because you'll be with me. Remember what I said about expectations a moment ago? We somehow or another find ourselves to believing that when he leads us, he'll lead us through trouble-free, carefree times. And what he says is, no, but when I take you through the dark times, I'll be with you. 
And when I'm with you, you don't need to fear. That's, that's a protecting, that is a, a serious shepherd. He says, you prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. Well, let me just tell you something. I belong to a family. There's four of us. And on any given night, because breakfasts are very fluid, you know, but dinner time, we sit down together most every night. And it is not uncommon for that dinner time to sometimes be a little bit tense. And in those moments, you know, it can be difficult to have a meal and enjoy it. At times, people lose their appetite because of that tension. At times, people don't enjoy being at the table because of that tension that families have. And yet here, David says, I don't sit down with people who make me tense. I sit down with my enemies in plain sight of them. And he does so because of who his shepherd is. He does so because he is not his own, that he is cared for by another. We have a hard time finishing a meal when we've had an argument sometimes, don't we? And he says, I'll take you beyond that, and I'll take you to right being across the table from your enemies, and you'll have a good time. Those are, that's deep stuff. That is deep stuff. You refresh my, whole, my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days, and I will live in that Lord's house for the rest of my life. Well, he is protective of what he owns. Matter of fact, you know, we've looked at this where he talks about provision, and that's talking about in so many ways about our life, our circumstances, and how he superintends over that. But I want to go back to what I was saying about the line. I was, because there's another thing that people say. They say that once you step over that line, that if you're still like a bad person and you still continue to do bad stuff, well, you step back over that line and you got to do it all over again. And so some people are just doing this the whole life, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because I keep sinning and I don't know which side of the line I'm on. Well, in John 10, he says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one there, that no one there, that no one there, it, doesn't, it means us. It means that I can never do enough to push myself back on this side of the line. He says no one pushes them back on the other side of the line. My father who's given them to me, my father gave them to me. We're talking about God, big G, gave them to me. And he says no one's going to take them out of my hand once he's put them there. That is a protective God. Is a great, great shepherd. A great shepherd. A great shepherd. Well, he is preeminent, he's present, he's personal, and he's protective. Now, I've got some questions for you. See, because the thing is, is we have to make this stuff apply to our lives. We have to be able to think through things and we say, what does this mean to me personally? And so I've got, I've got these questions for you. First of all, do you really belong to him? First of all, do you really belong to him? 
There's a lot of people who show up in his pen, but they don't really belong there. As a matter of fact, he even talks about, one of these days, I'm going to have a day and a time when they're going to start coming out of that pen, and I'm going to say, this one's a part of the pen, this one's not. This one's a part of the pen, this one's not. This one's a part of the pen, this one's not. And those who are coming out of the pen and saying, being told they're not, he's going to say to, they're going to say to him, well, I was there every week. I did stuff. I did the stuff no one else wanted to do. Why am I not there? Why am I not going to that side? And it has to do with what you believe about him. It's not about what you do. It's what you believe about him. And the way that you know that you belong to him is when you profess him. When you say, I believe that he paid that penalty for sin, my sin. And that I don't have to anymore. When you say that I know that I have disappointed him. Well, I know that I've committed crimes or sins. And I know that he paid that penalty for me. And by faith, just because the Bible says so, I believe it. That's how you become, that's how you belong to him. And so, in that day and that time, when he's calling them out of the pen, and he'll look at you and say, ah, I know when you did that. Come with me. Come with me. Come with me. But there's a lot of folks who sit in a lot of churches who have the shock of eternity when they are called out of that pen and said, I never knew you. I never knew you. Do I really recognize his right to me? Well, that has to, that has to do with, you know, being a sheep who chooses to go their own way. That has to do with being a sheep that says, no, I still want to do it my way. Do you recognize his right on your life? Because as you do, you begin to experience everything this psalm just talked about. Do I, do I, do I respond to his authority and acknowledge his ownership? Same question, just reset it differently. Do I acknowledge that he's the one who makes the decisions, that he's the one who leads the way, that he's taking me to nothing but good stuff? And that if I'm looking down the way and I'm seeing dark stuff coming up, I'm going back to the latter part of that verse that says that even though I walk through those dark valleys, he is with me. Okay, we're okay. He's with me. I can do this. And I'll have no fear. But so often, so often, we, we begin, to, we begin to, to, to see that dark stuff coming up and like going, well, this is not what God promised me. I need to find a different way out of this because surely he isn't doing the right thing. So me, in my infinite wisdom, I'm going to step in and correct this situation and lead this into the way it needs to go. That doesn't work. Can I find freedom and fulfillment in this arrangement? Can I find that the stuff he says here, when he says that he leads me besides still waters, when, I, when he says that my cup is full, can I find that stuff to be true? Do I know rest and peace in belonging to him? Boy, that is one thing that this, this psalm is saying. And it's saying like, I can, you know, that, there, that it, just, it just reeks of like cool breeze. It reeks of like total relaxation. It reeks of like having no needs, having no fears, being totally at peace because of a relationship with Christ. Coming to that place is difficult at times. 
We can read to the saints of old, and we can talk to some of us in this room, and they'll tell you that coming to that place is difficult at times, but they can tell you that I've been there. I tasted, and I see, and that he is what he promised he would be. This morning, that's what this psalm is promising us. That's what, that's what he's promising us. And it's our prayer that each and every one of us are growing into a greater and greater, deeper experience of that. Because I got to tell you, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a good, like, online learner. When I'm, you know, I need to be in a classroom. I need to be with others, processing truth, processing what I'm learning, bouncing it off of them, understanding how they're processing it, understanding how they're applying it. I need to see you walking in this truth, just like you need to see me walking in this truth and growing together as a community in this way. Let's pray. Father, this morning we um, come and we exalt you and we thank you and we praise you for the truth of your word and for just the simplistic beauty of the way that you state it. And even, in, even if your character wasn't enough, just the way that you've written it for us woos us to this truth. But once we begin to experience you and know you and love you, once we put ourselves under your authority and once we allow you to lead us, we begin to understand that this is more than beautiful words. This is more than a delightful poem. But this is deep, deep spiritual truth. This is the very essence of experiencing you and interacting with the character and the integrity of the eternal God. May we grow in that. May we lead each other in that. And may it become something that each of us have said, I know him that way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming out, folks. It's great to have you. Enjoy your day. Happy Mother's Day, mothers.